So, it was the summer of 2013 and I was at the Met Gallery and I got to see a real-life Van Gogh painting. You know, none of the digital copies of his work that I had seen up to that point came close to the power and beauty and, and frankly the intensity of seeing one in person. Two things became obvious. It's easy to identify a masterpiece and it's hard to create one. So as an artist, how do you come to terms with works that have inspired you? You know, the the subtleness of technique, the quality of truth that speaks directly to the heart, but they leave you paralyzed <laughs> at ever attempting anything so bold, anything so brave. I've been fascinated by the question of creativity since uh, age of seven. You know, I was uh, copying my uh, uncle as he drew. It was a simple drawing of a boat in the water, but the sense of freedom of expression that came with it stuck. That feeling, that's what I would chase with some amount of success and a lot of mis-failures, failures over the decades. Creativity is a funny creature. If you try to capture it, you know, capture it in black and white, pin it down, you will fail. Science has been fascinated by the idea of creativity, how certain works of art come to exist, how certain artists process that possess that right combination of factors to create works of genius. I want to come at creativity from a from a different place, from a side door, if you will. I want to go back to a movie that was formative to me as a person, a movie I have seen so many times growing up that its influence on me might be just too enmeshed, I mean, on a cellular level. Having said that, I have not watched this movie in nearly a decade. So when I thought about this podcast and what I wanted to wanted it to be, I realized I needed to explore movies and other art forms to understand them on a, let's say, deeper level, uh, trying to attempting to extract maybe elements within these works of art that that make them powerful you know this examination obviously it's not scientific it's merely following some heuristics intuitions so the movie that i want to talk about is sholay uh, and how this movie is a perfect example of an element of creativity that has always fascinated me remixing remixing elements from different genres and cultures to create something 
original. Shole was released in 1975. Yes, the same year that Jaws was released. And uh, Jaws is considered to be the first blockbuster. And it wouldn't be incorrect to think of Shole as the first Indian blockbuster film. Shole has been called many things. Uh, it's called a in the genre of Daku films. I'll explain what that means in a little bit. It's been labeled a curry western. I'm assuming following the trend of the label spaghetti westerns popularized by Sergio Leone and uh, Clint Eastwood. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. It's also sometimes called a masala film. Speaking of that label specifically, um, one thing that Indian films excel at is uh, just like an Indian meal, which gives you every flavor possible in one meal, Indian films give action, romance, comedy, song and dance, family, melodrama. It can all be found in the same film. And surely may be the best example of that ability to switch and toggle through so many genres in a single film. Having said that, there is a singular genre influence on Shole's director, Ramesh Sippy. He was drawing on to make this film, and that is the Western genre. So as I said earlier, I want to understand through the prism of Shole, how creativity works, specifically how remixing can be a great tool in the artist's tool belt. So let's first focus our gaze on Shole the movie before we zoom out to extract possible lessons when it comes to remixing in the context of creativity. If you haven't seen Shole, here is a quick primer. Obviously, spoilers ahead. Oh, also, um, as I give you the overview to this film, see if you can notice any narrative elements that seem familiar to you, perhaps. So here's the here's like a uh, setup for the story. There's a retired police officer, Takur. He enlists two convicts. Jay and Viru to capture Gabar Singh. This is the notorious bandit 
who has been terrorizing a small village of Ramgar. Now, Gabur has massacred Thakur's entire family and to boot cut off his arms. So this Thakur, this former police officer, he enlists these two crooks to protect the village and capture Gabur Singh. Now, how do I describe the two crooks, Jay and Viru? Jay is soft-spoken. He is a harmonica playing, uh, someone who's quick on the draw with his gun. On the other hand, Viru, he is a loud mouth, jovial, full of passion. So one way to think of them is to think of some of your favorite body cop movies and you'll get a feel for their relationship. But uh, honestly, with a friendship that is way deeper than what is portrayed in one of those uh, body cop genre films. Now, the storyline so far should sound familiar if you have seen any films set in the Old West. I mean, you have a town that's being terrorized by an outlaw, Gabar Singh, and you have two outsiders. Uh, think of them as cowboys. They're crooks in this case, but they are standards for cowboys. They are being recruited to stop the outlaw bandit. By the way, Amitabh Bachchan, the uh, actor who plays Jai, I would put him in the top five actors slash entertainers of all time. Don ka intazar to gyara mulkon ki police kar rahi hai, lekin Sonia, ek baat samaj lo. Don ko pakarna mushkili nahi, na mumkin hai. While Shole is a movie influenced by the Western genre with uh, films like The Magnificent Seven, Once Upon a Time in the West, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, not to mention Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, the final result, um, the final product that Shole is, it is not a copy, but it is a movie that is full of songs, dialogue, characters, and action that is as Indian as they come. So I mentioned uh, earlier that uh, Shole belongs uh, in the genre of Daku films. So let's uh, define what Daku is and then we will kind of go from there. So Daku is a Hindi word that basically translates to bandits or armed robbers. So there were real-life Dakus or bandits in India, and their origins, um, it's hard to pin down, but they can be traced to uh, feudal exploitation as the cause that provoked many people to take up arms. Uh, the area that also was severely underdeveloped and poor, so being a bandit was essentially a good career move. So as real-life Dakus or bandits flourished through the 1940s through the 1970s. They became the subject of various Hindi films made in that time frame, in that era, leading to the emergence of the Daku film genre in Indian cinema. Probably the most famous example of this is the movie Mother India. It was released in 1957. It was, by the way, the first Indian film to be nominated for an Academy Award. With Shole, you see the 
remixing of an established popular Indian film genre, the Daku films, with the established American film genre of westerns. This combination would prove to be monumental. So now we know about what Daku films are. Let's uh, turn our gaze briefly to the history of American westerns. The western genre it has universally recognizable features uh, such as um, good and bad guys, easily recognizable good and bad characters, towns set out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, recurring themes of uh, individual versus society, law and order uh, versus chaos, the lone hero, frontier justice. Uh, it reminds me of that quote, a man has got to have a code, as the saying goes. The, the West, you know, in some sense is an emergence from a chaotic world. It is somewhere in between the civilized and the uncivilized. In the West, perhaps I should say the fictional West, society is constantly being threatened by the unethical man, unethical men, usually men, and they exploit or terrorize a, a, a town that is just coming into being. Um, like in the jungle, you know, the strong rule and law and order is not set or is not strong enough to deal with these unruly elements. So into this chaotic picture, the storyteller usually introduces a hero whose ethical compass is in stark contrast to the antagonist. Hence, the Western arena, it's a great playground to explore good versus evil stories, primal stories, where the contrast of these two uh, of these two yin and yang is sharpest. This playground is fertile storytelling ground to explore various questions of morality. You know the thing about the 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 modern world. It's it exists in the in the gray. The good and the bad is often hard to distinguish, even in the later. Uh, Sergi Leone westerns, which is you know after the classical wests of uh, westerns of uh, say the G the John Ford era, the Leone Italian westerns, you know they they gave birth to the idea of the antihero. The protagonist is uh, still a man who follows a code, uh, but his actions don't register as desirable behavior from societal standards. The Citizens of these towns are trying to live within the social rules, but you know, they become victims of the powerful and the unethical So this battle between lawlessness and society Becomes the engine which drives the story of Sholay while the classic American Western explore morality through this framing Sholay opts to squeeze all the melodramatic possibilities. 
revenge and the need for justice are usually what drives the western hero so uh, takur's family you know the uh, former police officers uh, family tragedy at the hand of uh, daku uh, the daku gabar singh puts him on the similar path as say john wayne's um, ethan edwards in the searchers you know uh, like the unexplored wild west in america where these mythic stories unfold surely um surely small village of ramgarh is located at the edge of civilization far from the easy reach of the strong arm of law and order so our our heroes uh, jay and viru they they are the bridge between civilization and uh, and the wild uh, they are thieves but they are thieves with a moral code a moral code then like in the traditional western these heroes have to choose to save society and like in true western even though the heroes have to save the society they cannot truly ever be a part of it and so the fates of jay and viru play out in similar fashion as the traditional cowboy in the western genre we want you shane joy there's no living with with a killing there's no going back from right and wrong is a brand a brand sticks there's no going back now you run on home to your mother and tell her tell her everything's all right and there aren't any more guns in the valley these uh, genre films are built around tropes or you might uh, dismissively call them clichés well what is a cliche in my mind a cliche is something that we expect to happen say in a story things uh, look bad now in a story but by the end you are fairly certain the hero is going to defuse the bomb defeat the villain and kiss the girl so how does that contrast with the idea of tropes movie tropes are general objects people or some situations uh, with uh, figurative meanings uh, a symbolic metaphorical or 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 even allegorical meaning these tropes can be used uh, effectively in stories to subvert or exaggerate a well-known cliche so here are some direct genre and uh, visual references from westerns that i spotted in shole so think about how these well-born western genre ideas goes through a metamorphosis when translated into a different context so you know, here contextually we are talking about uh, transporting uh, a a western genre idea from one culture to another so you don't even have to have seen shole to see the possibilities within each of these tropes spoilers ahead again for the next few minutes so the opening of shole is reminiscent of uh, jill arrival to the town of flagstone in uh, leone's 
once upon a time in the West. Another reference is uh, uh, from the same movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, where the killing of uh, the McBain family is visually similar to the killing of Thakur's Baldev Singh's family in Sholay. Um, our two main heroes, Vero and Jay, they seem to be modeled after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from the 1968 classic starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Oh, I forgot. Um, it was uh, around this time that uh, in the uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, the main character simply referenced as harmonica, obviously plays the harmonica throughout the film. And in Shole, one of the main props that defines Viru is his harmonica. of uh, a specific tangle of influences that uh, was a key inspiration for Shole. And uh, this one comes from Akira Kurosawa's The Seven Samurai. This movie was released in 1953. Now, this is not a western, as the title would suggest. It is a samurai film set in Japan. Now, the story is about a group of farmers in a small village being raided by bandits. And so what do they do? They hire a group of samurais to uh, defend the village. Now, I do believe they are ronins and not samurais. But does the overall plot sound familiar here? Because this movie or this, um, this storyline would go on to inspire a Hollywood remake. That is called The Magnificent Seven. And... Both The Magnificent Seven and The Seven Samurai would be clear influences on uh, the shaping of uh, what eventually would become Shole. Now, these are definitely, you can see the progression of how uh, movies from different, uh, different time periods and different cultures are speaking to each other and influencing the um, the uh, aesthetics, the storylines, and the kind of stories that are being told. Uh, but here's the crazy part about Seven Samurai, which seemed to be the original film that started this chain reaction. But Seven Samurai itself, um, the director and uh, uh, writer Akira Kurosawa, he was, funnily enough, influenced by uh, westerns, the old westerns, uh, for example, the John Ford westerns that uh, were made in the 40s like uh, Rio Grande or Fort Apache, these classic western films from old Hollywood. These original westerns really laid out the template for the kind of cinematic films or what would be cinematic in the, in the film format. And if you look at westerns themselves, it really goes back all the way back to the inception of films themselves. If you look at the original, uh, what is considered to be one of the first quote-unquote films ever made, 
um, as we would conceive it, would be the 1903 The Great Train Robbery. If you get a chance to watch this film, it's only 12 minutes long. But here's the crazy part about it. A lot of the elements that would be associated with the Western genre films, it's all of those big elements are in this movie. And so those fundamental building blocks of the Western genre, uh, it, it naturally lends itself to the cinematic medium. And so it can also be uh, transported to different cultures and times um, as a successful formula for creating compelling narratives. Uh, that's the thing about the movies as a visual medium. Uh, it, dialogue is important, but the visuals is universal and it's a language that everybody understands, no matter what uh, what language you speak. So what's the point of all this? It's not important for you to have seen all the movies. I have been name dropping for the past couple of minutes to understand the underlying idea that I'm trying to convey. You know, I uh, came across a quote once that uh, summed up perfectly what I'm trying to say. The quote goes, to steal ideas from one person is plagiarism, but to steal from many, well, that is research. So it sounds funny, but there is a valuable principle at play here for you and me. What is that phrase uh, from the Bible? It goes something like, uh, there is no new thing under the sun, meaning that it's all been done before, right? So creativity is not it's not invention from whole cloth, but rather it is a uh, an itch. It's rather an understanding. It is something that comes from finding new combinations. So, the innovation is in the combination. The unpredictable results that you can get from mixing elements and if the combination proves to be correct, well, uh, counterintuitively, you will end up with something that is original. Films, they are in constant dialogue with other films. So this can be said to be a general true statement for all art forms. A, a good modern example of this would be the filmmaker Quentin Tarantino. His movies are constant references to other movies, and yet they don't feel derivative because the end product is uniquely Quentin. This process of imitation, copying, stealing, or if you prefer, a, a form of evolution is at the heart of the creative act. So in the case of uh, Tarantino, he is borrowing the cinematic past and repurposing them for his own use. So, you know, we can think about talents and skills as emergent properties uh, of these different artists uh, in the environments that they find themselves in and the life experiences that they had. Now, we cannot choose the life experiences that we have uh, and we cannot really choose our natural talents, but we can choose to develop and master certain skills. We can also choose to surround ourselves with what books, people, and maybe even places that might make the possibility of some 
truly creative combinations to emerge. So it's it's not just uh, Tarantino. Tarantino is one example. If you look at uh, other art forms like hip hop, it's the same idea, right? You are remixing the art, and it is in this play that you are. You it's the play of reconstituting what came before. Even Shakespeare borrowed from older books, adapted stories uh, from other places in Europe like Scandinavia and Italy. So nothing I'm saying here is new, but something we forget to give ourselves. We forget to give ourselves permission to take from the past, remold it like clay into a form that we choose. When we see a piece of art, whether that is a uh, painting by Van Gogh or or uh, uh, say Beethoven's Fifth Symphony or uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet we see their finished form and uh, we see it in its isolated state of perfection and uh, sometimes if you don't look a little deeper you don't see all the influences all the elements that the artist or artists were borrowing from from their environment from their influences to recombine to create something that then became a original piece of art so in uh, conclusion whether you are learning how to bake or wanting to become a filmmaker Start by stealing and then remixing. Eventually, you will find your own style in whatever domain your practice is, you know, your craft, whether that is a, a baker, a graphic designer, a musician, a business owner, or you just like working on stained glass windows on the weekends. You have to start by mastering the language of your predecessors and your contemporaries. And then, eventually through failures and iterations, you will start to forge your own path. The artist that is within you starts to emerge and starts to have enough self-awareness so that you're able to take from works of others and express them uh, through your own individuality. You know, as uh, Picasso said, bad artists copy and good artists steal. Now, there is a misconception out there that this copying and remixing is easy. In my personal experience, it's the opposite. To be able to effectively remix, you need first to develop good taste. And that only comes from repeatedly exposing yourself to a variety of samples within your discipline. And then it's down to simple hard work. Or as uh, Marcus Aurelius, the uh, emperor of Rome, famous Stoic and uh, father figure to Russell Crowe, said, At dawn, when you have trouble getting out of bed, tell yourself, I have to go to work. Make no mistake about it. Creativity is work. So let your influences be 
wide. Don't stop at just the thing that you are interested in and simply copy it like a parrot. You are a craftsman, so dig deep into a variety of fields and find ideas that you can borrow and store away. And then one day, uh, you will take two desperate ideas that is in your storehouse and you combine them together. And through that consummation, something new and unique will emerge, something that did not exist before. Uh, there is a legendary Russian painter and a theorist, Kandinsky. Um, he said something to the effect of each picture, each piece of art, to paraphrase, is a whole lifetime in prison, a whole lifetime of the artist's fears, doubts, hopes, and joys. So what is the message of a competent artist or a movie like Sholay or any work of art that speaks to you? These works are trying to harmonize the whole and that is the task of art. I'll talk to you next time.